And we looked at each other and said, gosh, he's better than we are. What are we gonna do? And we said, you're hired. <laughs> and that started the candy canes right there. Hello, and welcome back to Rediscovering Debbie Campbell. I'm Lynn's Florin, Debbie's stepson, and in our previous episode, we introduced you to the Candy Canes, an all-girl band that formed in Fort Worth, Texas in 1965. Today, we're diving deeper into the Candy Canes story, talking with members of the band. Starting with Candy Chase herself, we learn about the band's origins. My girlfriend and I were watching Ed Sullivan, and the Beatles came on, and I looked at it, and I went, that's what I want to do in my life. And she went, that would be fun. So I said, let's do it. Let's start an all-girl band. First of all, we got to figure out what instruments we're going to play, right? So I said, well, I like Paul McCartney. I'm going to play bass. She said, I like Ringo. I'm going to play drums. So I said, okay, fine. Then we got to get a guitar player. The first thing I did was call all around the whole city in the music stores. And, you know, it's really hard back in the 60s to try to find a girl, anything, musician that's willing to be in a rock band. One person said, yes, there is a girl. She wasn't that far away, and she would love to do it. So why don't you come over in here? So we went over there to this music store, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so cool. It was Debbie, and she said, let me sing a song for you. She sang Abilene, and I remember it so well. And Mylon, the drummer, we looked at each other and said, gosh, she's better than we are. What are we going to do? And we said, you're hired. <laughs> and that started the candy cane right there. That was 64, right at the Beatles. Right, right yeah. when the Beatles hit, you didn't waste any time. No, I went right to it, you know. So that was the start of the candy canes. And of course, it was harder to find the keyboard player. We had a heck of a time. And we ran across a few that were mothers and didn't want to travel and played organ in the church. And that just was not happening. So I called around the music stores all over again. And one guy said, I think I have somebody for you. And I might be interested in managing you. And I went, okay. So we went over there, met the girl, keyboard player. We played a few songs, and he taught us Memphis. That was the first song we ever played together, really. And she was great. But the problem with her was she was 21. And we were 15 and 14. So there was quite a bit of difference there, but she was great. So it worked out really well for a long, long period of time. You know, we were good. We were serious, you know. We really wanted to make it. I think our weakest point was our manager, because I don't think we should have been in bars at that age. You know, maybe concerts. Mm -hmm. We had a record. And so the manager, was that Mickey Moody. Yeah, and he would travel around with you all. Did anyone else travel with you? Our chaperone, and it was one of the mothers. Okay. It was either Debbie's mother, my aunt, or the drummer's mother. Okay. Of course, the others were adults. <laughs> right. Everybody was older than us that we got, but, but we couldn't find anybody else that their parents would let them go anywhere. Sounds like it was hard to find committed band members. The manager took us, taught us all the songs. We rehearsed five hours a day, every day, five hours a day. We'd get up in the morning, do our homework, because we were on the road a lot, and we would do homework and go to school. We had to go to school wherever city we were in, and then we'd get back and practice from one to six, have our dinner, and get dressed and go to work. And that's what we did for three years. Somewhere in this mix, and I'm still trying to get clear on the exact date, the original keyboard player, Sherry, decided to part ways with the band. 
And that morning, I got a note from her saying, I'm leaving, I'm gone. I left with the sax player of the next bar over. And she went to L.A. This leaves a hole in the keyboard spot that they need to fill quickly. Luckily, in walks Joanne. To start off with, I didn't go out looking for the candy canes. My introduction to them was through a very good friend in the industry, John Miller in Peoria, Illinois. And John called me one evening and he said, Joanne, why don't you come on down to Size Place? He said, I've got a group of girls who have lost their keyboardist and they need somebody like right now because they're ready to go to St. Louis and then they were going to work their way toward California. So they had all these commitments and they didn't have a keyboardist. And I, of course, had just graduated from high school and I'm thinking, I need to go to college. Should I be an engineer? Because that was my aptitude. I really liked that kind of work, but I love my music too. And John said, Joanne, this is a one in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> you know, that was the little devil sitting on my shoulder. <laughs> and I said, all right, all right. I wasn't old enough to get into size because I was only 18. You had to be 21 at the time. And uh, I said, Dad, here's the deal. He was always the one. If anybody's going to support me, it was him. And of course, my mom did too. But, you know, he was like, yeah, let's go. Get your stuff. Let's go. It was only like 20, 30 minutes away. So we drove down and went into the club. We met everybody. I don't know if you ever heard much about Mickey Moody. Mickey was the manager at the time. He was there and he introduced himself and the girls all came up, you know, they're all wound up and ready to get on stage. And they were like, hey, why don't you come on in and sit in with us? And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> so John says, Joanne, get up there. You can do it. You know all their stuff. Just get up there and play. And we just hit it off. And it was like, they came over and met my mom and dad. We had dinner out. You know, my dad was a big barbecue person. So he had everybody come over for dinner and they met them. And they're like, if this is really what you want to do, do it. Now is the time. Now is the age. Do it now. Because if you ever think of having a family and all that kind of good stuff, you're going to kick yourself. So I did. I went out, I packed up my stuff, and within the week, we were on the road. So that was the beginning. <laughs> and then from there, we did a lot of practicing because I had to learn all their stuff. I guess I was fearless. It didn't seem like that daunting to me at that time. Now I sit down and I play and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I can remember this progression. I, I better... Let me give, give me a half hour to go check this out before we play, you know, <laughs> give me an hour. Oh, come back and see me tomorrow. <laughs> so now with Joanne in the keyboard position, they can get back on the road. We got to St. Louis. We did the gig there in that area now in St. Louis. It was Gaslight Square at the time was the happening place. That was Rhythm and Blues. That's where everybody came to party. And it was out of the city, you know, so to speak. It was pretty cool. It was had, had a lot of discos at that time. And so, you know, the whole girls dancing in the cages and on the platforms and that whole thing. We were there a few months later, the Cardinals 
were playing for the pennant. So Gaslight Square was insane. They won the pennant. At that time, streaking was the thing to do. <laughs> we were streaking down the streets. They were climbing telephone poles and light poles and swinging from the light poles and jumping on the balconies. And it was just a crazy, crazy place to go. When we were in St. Louis one time, we were on stage and I said, oh my gosh, you guys, I think Chuck Berry's sitting back in the corner. And I wonder if he would come up and sit in with us. <laughs> Debbie, she jumps on the mic in her most beautiful Texas draw. I loved it. And she goes, we have a celebrity in our midst and we would like to ask him if he would consider sitting in with us. That man could not get out of his chair fast enough. He was on stage so fast. It made all of our heads swim. We're like, Chuck Berry just got up out of his chair and joined us. And he did three songs with us. It was just, just the best. After the break, we'll hear about some of the Candy Cane's stories, and we'll hear from some of them in Debbie's own words. So when I was 14, they bought me this guitar, and I just picked that sucker up and started taking guitar lessons, and within about a month, and I'm not kidding, about a month, I saw a sign up on the music store wall that said these two girls were looking for a guitar player to join an all-girl band. Well, this was 1964. The Beatles had just hit really big, and the thought of joining an all-girl band really intrigued me. If you've ever wanted to edit your own videos or podcasts, but were overwhelmed by how complicated the software was, you are in luck. Descript, or Descript, is a magical tool that allows you to edit text as if you're editing a Google Doc. We use it for this show and use it collaboratively with clients and co-producers on all of our shows. And trust me, it's easy to learn. Click our affiliate link in the show notes to discover the magical tool for yourself. And if you want some guidance on how to learn and use it, please sign up for our Magic of Descript newsletter. So I didn't finish high school. I was on the road. And I think that I recognized early on that whatever I was getting was a, certainly a different experience than what most young girls would be. One of the most exciting things about this project was finding recordings of Debbie talking about her life experiences. I found audio cassettes, videotapes of her appearances on shows and interviews. And to my delight, we get to hear about the experience of Debbie with the Candy Canes in her own words. She answered one question I had, which was, how did you handle school? Well, we had tutors, and we were taking correspondence classes, keeping up our schoolwork, so we were busy all the time. And that was, if you've never taken correspondence classes, it was just volumes of writing to you. It's much more difficult to take correspondence classes, at least back then, than going to school would have been. Everything was homework, but we did that, and we practiced our music every day. We did our homework every day, and then we would play at night, so we were totally busy. I really wanted to play music, and I wanted to be in a band, and this was the way to do that. We experienced things that I can't even tell you. I was 16 when we went to Boston and we played Louie's Bar and Grill in downtown Boston. This was in the middle of winter. And I don't know who Louie was, but everybody said, if Louie comes in, just don't look at him. Don't, you know? <laughs> On Saturday and Sunday, we played from 12 noon to 12 at night. 
We had, and we wow. alternated with bands, but that was a, a you know, a 12 hour job. Can't believe we actually did it. And we had go-go dancers. You know, this Boston story comes up a lot. Each of the candy canes who were there have mentioned it at this point. Let's get into what happened in Boston in 1967. Here's Joanne again. We were there for almost two months. That was quite an experience. That was one of those towns that was run by an organization. We had the front of a staged area, and there were doors on either side of the stage. And we were told, don't go back there. And when people would come in, they would knock on the door, a certain rap, you know, and somebody would open a little kind of trap door at the top, and they'd say something, and then they'd let them in. You know how you used to see the old movies with the long coats? You always wondered, hmm, <laughs> what's in there? <laughs> but, but Debbie, she was always so cool. That was one place that we played that it was called the Downtown Lounge in Boston. And it was about, oh gosh, three or four blocks from the Sugar Shack. And the Sugar Shack had people like Mitch Ryder in the Detroit Wheels and the groups like that that would come in. And of course, when you're in a town like that, they always send out invites, you know, come to our show, we'll come to your show, that kind of thing. And so we made our way down to see Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels, several other groups, uh, the Rascals and stuff like that. It was just a great, great town for that kind of thing. And of course, Debbie, I will never forget this. She was really a true performer. She loved the audience, and she just lit up the room, not only with her musical playing ability, but Thank her you. showmanship and her singing ability. Thank you very much. She just sparkled. It's good to see everybody tonight. She put a lot of passion in her music. And so that music took on this personality that a lot of people can't put out. I always admired Debbie for that because she just exuded this excitement, you know, and everybody could feel it. The room felt it. And this one evening, she did Otis Redding, sitting by the dock of the bay. Of course, he had passed away. And that room just went crazy. They were standing on the tables. They wanted more, more, more. And so she'd just go from one song to the next to the next. And everybody just couldn't get enough. So obviously this sounded like a really fun environment, right? Well, maybe not so much. Here's Candy with some of the nitty gritty details. And then after three days, we walked in there and the manager had been killed in his office. And that kind of scared us, but we kept on going for another week. Every week, somebody else was killed in that office. And it was like, oh my God. And my aunt had befriended another mafia guy on the other side that he was trying to get us to go over there on that side, you know, to play. So what we did, one night we said, we're going to take our stuff and we're going to rehearse at the hotel. And they said, okay, take your stuff and rehearse. And we just packed up and went home. I was so, I've never been so scared in my whole life as that. Wow, that sounds like a harrowing experience. No wonder they all remember it. Well, I wanted to ask them if they had any really good memorable experiences, too, about times with the band. It was so funny because this British guy called me one day. I thought it was a joke. And he called me 
at my house and he said, you know, I hear y'all have great equipment and we'd like to borrow it for uh, two groups that were coming in for a concert tonight. Can you guys bring it over? And I went, I wasn't sure I wanted to because I didn't know it. But I thought, British groups, that might be kind of fun. Maybe it's the Beatles. So we took it over to the arena. And we set it up for them and everything. The amps, they used all our amps. And they said, why don't you come back tonight and you can see the groups. And we went, okay. Of course, I couldn't go by myself. And so I brought my family and the whole band came. It was standing room only, and we got to stand right here. The stage is right here, you know. And we were standing there, and out came this band. I went, oh, they're pretty good, you know. And it was the Yardbirds with Jeff Beck. And I went, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to make it, you know. (laughs) And then after that, then out came the Stones. And I went, I think they're really going to make it. You know, they're really good. I like that. And we were standing in front. Now, nowadays, you can't get near the stage. The Candy Canes might not have shared the stage with the Rolling Stones, but they did share their gear. Yeah, the Stones used our equipment. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. Stick around after this short break. I'll talk to someone else in my position, looking back at their parents' careers and wanting to share the story. And then, oh, crazy thing, I got to meet Candy. She found me on Facebook and she says, wait a minute, is Joanne your mom? And I said, oh my gosh, yes. And she says, where are you guys? Hey everyone, my name is Aubrey Allen and I'm a producer here on Rediscovering Debbie Campbell. Together, Linz and I have put hundreds of hours into this project so far and we're just getting started. So if you want to help us continue to tell Debbie's story, please click the donate button in our show notes or in our link tree to make a one-time donation. Every little bit will go directly towards the production of this show, which works to showcase and preserve the history of Debbie Campbell and artists like her. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. I'm not the only one who's obsessed with the Candy Cane story. In addition to everyone I've told about it, there's also the children of the other candy canes. She still had her go-go boots. She had her wig boxes, the bouffant wigs they used to wear and everything. Just incredible cool stuff. Through the course of working on this project and trying to track down the candy canes, I came across Michelle. Michelle is Joanne's daughter, the keyboard player from earlier in the episode. She had a couple of her costumes, you know, stage outfits that I just always fell in love with. Like me, Michelle is an obsessive music fan. And I think that has a lot to do with coming from a family of musicians. I think that when it comes to music, that's one thing that was always very special to me with my mom that always, she always stressed it. She's like, you'll see, it's just such an amazing connection throughout your whole life. And how many people are connected in that world that it might be a big world, but it's also a small world. It's just wild to me. And I love that. And it's the one place that I've always truly felt myself and most comfortable, no matter what job I've ever had or anything I've ever done. It is the music that is what it's about for me. And I'm so thankful that I got to grow up in that atmosphere. So... I watch all of these folks work so hard, so hard 
And I see more groups these days interacting with each other, trying new projects. And I love that too. You know, there is a lot of great music out there. It was wild to me how similar Michelle and I were and how we approached music in a very similar way. When people ask me, what's your favorite song or what's your favorite band? I said, I don't, I don't have that. I love so many different things that I can never pick one. I don't even have one favorite genre, really. It's all great. I can't explain it. And it depends on my mood that day or what gets me going or what I want to relax to for that matter. What was the first band you were in? Well, in the beginning, it was just kind of filling in on certain songs. So it was a band called Rubber. <laughs> um, I was asked to do a song by the Donnas called Take It Off. I went to high school with them. No way. Yeah. No way. That is so cool. I would love to meet them and tell them, hey, I covered your song. But this band called Rubber, they're an alternative rock cover group. So they did a lot of stuff. They were so much fun. I'm still best friends with just about every one of those guys. We hang out all the time. Nice. And the original band that I filled in with was called Love Hammers here. They're from the South side of Chicago. And I filled in with them with other singers at the Double Door, the original Double Door here over in Wicker Park, Bucktown area, because their lead singer, Marty Casey at the time, was doing a reality TV series called Rockstar in Excess. And he was actually runner up. So yeah, it was really cool. So after we geeked out about playing our own music, we got back to the topic at hand about how cool our parents were and the music that they played being in a band like the candy canes is really really special and even though no one really knows about it they were pioneers in their world and getting to connect with each other and learn about all this is really a once in a lifetime opportunity i know and a matter of fact i have a black and white photo on my facebook page i'm sure you saw that is the main photo on my page i haven't changed it you know I just, that's one of my favorite pictures. It's one of the coolest things, you know, my, they're all standing They're just cool. It was just so cool back then. One of my goals too, was to get them the recognition that they always deserved. Cause as far as I'm concerned, when people talk about the first female bands out there, it's like, really hold on. You know what I mean? Granted, they didn't become as famous, but they have some amazing touring stories. They toured just like the rest of them. And with Michelle and I, it's more than stories. I've been digging through all of Debbie's old things, and she has some amazing stuff from her mom's ears on the road. I still have an original sign. It's a, like on this acrylic kind of thing. And they used like black electrical tape that says candy canes on it. I forget which venue it's from. I'm going to have to ask my mom, but my mom took it and kept it all these years. And so, I mean, I'm 50 and I have this thing. So, and I still have a light that my mom always had that we always had fun with. It comes on from sound, but it's from the sixties. It's kind of like a psychedelic looking thing. Cool. Different colors. It's so cool. Like you can't find this stuff anymore. One of the funnier stories we had to talk about was how we came in contact. Because I had found her mom, Joanne, on Facebook. I had reached out to her mom, and I had not received a response. And then I get a message from somebody new. 
this woman, Michelle, who says, you've been trying to reach out to my mom and I need to check out who you are before you can talk to her. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. I, I feel very honored. I'm really glad we connected and I'm sorry I was so investigative because I'm so protective of my mom just because the internet is so crazy, you know? And while she's probably a lot better at it than I am because she is an IT person, but I'm still like, Bob, you don't know these creeps that are out there. I don't know what this guy's about, you know? But now that I just, I feel really good about this. Thank you so, so much. It was really validating to connect with Michelle and talk about music and have so many things in common. And it really made me feel like I'm on the right path with this Debbie project here. Next episode, you're going to hear even more of that kind of thing because I connected with some amazing people to hear about their connections to Debbie and the Candy Canes and even Debbie's next band, Buckwheat. You know, I never really got to know Debbie or Candy or any of them well, but they sure had an impact on me on this. You know, I was a senior in high school. Rediscovering Debbie Campbell is produced by Linz Florin and Aubrey Allen for Growth Network Podcasts. Additional support provided by Brianna Javon. Don't forget to check out the show notes where you can find links to sign up for our newsletter and follow us on our social pages, such as our Facebook group filled with not only fans, but also her friends and family. Thanks to our guests for sharing their stories and to the generous donors who've contributed financially on our website. This is a labor of love, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen, share, and support us any way you can. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you've ever wanted to edit your own videos or podcasts, but were overwhelmed by how complicated the software was, you are in luck. Descript, or Descript, is a magical tool that allows you to edit text as if you're editing a Google Doc. We use it for this show and use it collaboratively with clients and co-producers on all of our shows. And trust me, it's easy to learn. Click our affiliate link in the show notes to discover the magical tool for yourself. And if you want some guidance on how to learn and use it, please sign up for our Magic of Descript newsletter.